everyone. My name is Rebecca Bickham, editor of NACE International's Materials Performance Magazine. Joining me on today's podcast are three experts from CorePro who are here to discuss corrosion-related pipeline failure. This was a driving factor behind the U.S. Department of Transportation's Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration to publish one of the most comprehensive set of rules ever published by a regulatory agency. Because not all stakeholders and decision makers engaged in corrosion-related issues have a fundamentally sound understanding of threats to pipeline integrity, they are here to provide further insight. So my first guest is NACE member um, Ajay Arkeri. He is a senior pipeline integrity engineer at CorePro. Hi, Ajay. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. Could you br briefly tell us a bit about your background in pipeline integrity? All right. Uh, I'm basically a mechanical engineer. Um, I worked on various aspects of pipeline integrity. Uh, some of them uh, involved corrosion control, uh, fitness for service evaluations, um, as well as mechanical testing of materials. Uh, I worked in the midstream and downstream uh, oil and gas pipeline, uh, pipelines and facilities. Um, looking forward to the conversation. Great. Thank you, Ajay. My next guest is NACE member Marlene Rodriguez. She is the operations manager of CorePro's pipeline direct assessment team. Hi, Marlene. Hey. Could you tell us a bit about your background as well, please? Yeah. So um, I've been in the, in the corrosion control cathodic protection industry for almost, just not quite, but almost 15 years. And um, all 15 of those years, I've been with Corpro. Um, I'm a NACE CP3, um, and I started my career kind of as a junior engineer working on corrosion control and cathodic protection, and I moved into pipeline integrity, um, particularly ECDA, right around the time the first integrity assessment deadline was due in 2012, and um, have kind of been doing that ever since and, and now manage the team uh, at Corpro. Wonderful. Thank you, Marlene. And I see here in my notes that you recently won a 2020 award as a woman worth watching in a STEM field. That's quite an honor. Congratulations. I did. Thank you. I, was, I am incredibly honored. And my third guest today is uh, Dirk Van Ostendorp. He is Director of Engineering and Technical Services for CorePro. Hello, Dirk. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Could you also tell us a little bit about your background, please? Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. Uh, my career spans uh, just over 40 years now um, in all different areas related to um, pipeline integrity, corrosion control, and integrity management. Um, here in the United States, North America, also worldwide, um, have worked in quite a few different countries, so I've had a, a good opportunity to see a variety of different pieces of the puzzle uh, when it comes to pipeline integrity. Um, and historically, uh, if we, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but I was on some of the teams back in 2000, 2001, and 2002 uh, that helped shape some of the current pipeline integrity protocols and standards that have uh, been put together through organizations like uh, INGA, PRCI, and AGA. Great. Thank you, Dirk. And you're also a NACE corrosion specialist? Yes, ma'am, NACP4 okay. and corrosion specialist. Wonderful. Okay, well, thank you all for being here. My first question for you guys is, what are the fundamental threats to pipeline integrity? 
Um, all right, this Ajay here, I'll go first. Okay, great. Um, so as Dirk mentioned, it was around the year 2000 that PRCI together a team to analyze data from various pipeline incidents that Dirk was a part of, uh, part of that original team. And what they found was there were 22 different root causes which caused these incidents, which means there were 22 different threats and all these 22 different threats were classified and grouped into nine different categories, um, basically according to the nature and growth mechanisms of the threats. And these nine were further grouped and classified into three categories, mainly based on time-related uh, defect types. So at a high level, uh, threats are basically classified into three areas. Uh, the first one being the time dependent, the second one is time independent, and the third one is resident defects. And time dependent threats are external corrosion, internal corrosion, stress corrosion, cracking. Um, in time independent threats, we have uh, third party damage, uh, mechanical damage, uh, incurred operations, and weather related. And resident defects are uh, manufacturing defects such as defective seam or defective pipe. Uh, welding or fabrication related defects um, such as uh, girth weld, uh, a defective pipe girth weld or wrinkle bend and those things and uh, equipment related defects you know such as uh, mechanical seals in a pump or um, uh, o-rings or a relief valve and those things so there are 22 different, different threats uh, but what's interesting to know is uh, FIMSA releases an annual uh, incident report and uh, the top two incidents, almost always, that are reported are third-party interference uh, as well as corrosion. Uh, and these two are uh, uh, exponentially higher than any other threat. Um, uh, third-party interference, for example, you know, you have a utility pipeline company excavating and accidentally uh, uh, hitting the pipeline. Um, uh, corrosion is more predictable. It's not as random as third party. It's, it's more easy, easily manageable. Uh, but these two are uh, by far uh, the two most important incidents than any other threat. So that's an important thing to know. All right. And what do you all think are the most important aspects of corrosion management? Rebecca, this is Dirk. Um, sure. So pipeline integrity as we know it, changed um, back in, in 1999 um, on a afternoon in June in 1999 a uh, number of different conditions all converged to cause a pipeline failure and leak and subsequent explosion in Bellingham Washington um, from that point forward there was uh, a need to change the entire view on, on pipeline safety uh, because there were casualties involved in that case. Uh, it was a pipeline leak that involved a spill. Um, and then just as these headlines were starting to gather um, support through the, the regulatory agencies, uh, a second incident occurred in August 2000 in Carlsbad, New Mexico involving a natural pipe a natural gas pipeline that also uh, resulted in casualties. So this 
forced the hand on the regulatory side with the Department of Transportation uh, through what was the Office of Pipeline Safety at that time, and that has now become the FEMSA organization, to prioritize reviews and changes to the regulations um, as far as how operators are going to have to approach um, the integrity of the pipelines, the management of the integrity of the pipelines, and the pip pipeline safety. Uh, prior to that, there was uh, a much more reactive approach to pipeline management. Uh, the, the changes that took place in, in the federal regulations drove this to a more proactive program and a forward-thinking program, uh, also more descriptive. It, it involved pipeline operators having to put together a pipeline integrity plan, uh, uh, their playbook as to how they're going to identify the threats, uh, both internally and externally to their pipelines, uh, risk assessments of those pipelines, um, and then their sort of cyclical inspection integrity assessment programs that they're going to be using for data gathering and making, you know, plans for repairs or, or further uh, remedial efforts on these aging pipeline structures. Uh, so I think that's a historical perspective of, of where it all started. Uh, there have been subsequent updates to the regulations, and some of the states have also put uh, some of their own um, regulations in to deal with more local conditions. Uh, so I think that gives a, a, a very good historical context as to what's changed. Um, and I think Marlene can provide quite a bit more on the current status as to what's going on. If you ask me what, what's the most important, important aspect of corrosion management, I mean, um, obviously there's um, kind of what, you know, what's prescriptive, what's prescribed, and what's required, and that's understanding your, your corrosion threat or, or, or just what your pipeline integrity threat is, and then, um, you know, and then assessing the risk of that and how it, how it affects, you know, whatever risk model you want to run, but how it affects the environment and people and, and all that stuff. And, um, and those are big aspects of it. And the one that, that really comes to mind to me, if you were to ask me, you know, what's the most important aspect, what comes to mind is, is data and having, having good data and accurate data and being able to validate that data and then having educated, you know, trained individuals that can analyze that data and, and, and help you validate it and tell you if it's good. Um, you know, and, and making sure that you have competent people that can, that can demonstrate that. All right. That's, to, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ajay. Uh, just to add to uh, what Marlene said, uh, you know, the big companies, they have, uh, they sit on a mountain of data right now, uh, right? But uh, we need uh, good data and quality data, as Marlene said. And uh, operators have made a lot of strides over the last few years to collect more and better data. But uh, there are several uh, gaps uh, that still exist, um, and that is uh, that is one of the challenges, definitely. Okay, thank you all. That's great information. My next question is: How do pipeline operators integrate best practices into existing operations? Uh, this is Ajay here again. Um, so there is a wide spectrum here. Um, uh, it depends on uh, how many technicians the operator has and how much training needs to be given. Uh, and as Dirt called it the other day, uh, the ouch level, uh, it depends on the operator. Um, you have some operators who, uh, who, are, uh, who don't want any accidents or incidents on their pipeline system, and uh, they'll do everything uh, they possibly can to keep them safe. And there are others who, uh, uh, who calculate the amount of risk and see 
what's the chance something's going to happen uh, and then decide how much it's going to cost and they probably will live with it. Um, so it really depends on on uh, where they set the ouch level, as Dirk put it. You know, one thing I would add too, um, and it's something that's kind of coming up, um, becoming more and more important is is your your GIS platform and um, utilizing that information to to house all your data. Um, and uh, one thing we had talked about the other day was machine learning and using using machine learning um, to kind of help you predict it and help you analyze what's going on, and then also to to integrate your best practices and then apply that everywhere and maybe not just in one specific location. Yeah, thanks, Marlene. Um, GIS platforms are becoming a large part of the whole data management process because, once again, um, you know, if, if we think about technology and where it's developed in the years, um, large data is becoming a real fact, and many of the companies are now going to interactive GIS platforms where the data then can get projected out onto, you know, uh, something along the lines of a Google Earth format and a false uh, background to actually see where the data aligns in space. Um, the data now also uh, is time date stamped and, and position stamped for accuracy uh, from a compliance standpoint. And this allows multiple data sets to be overlaid on top of each other um, you know, in, in, in a virtual setting for real live analytics and trending analysis as to how things are progressing uh, between the different surveys or, or inspections that are being done. Um, and, you know, technology is really advanced. So many of these systems are now, these platforms are being moved to a cloud-based infrastructure, which allows much more rapid access for people. Uh, it's now possible for field technicians to be able to access this information even on a smartphone or a tablet, be able to pull this data, query this data, and look at it. Uh, there are also some very interesting things that have been done in recent years uh, using virtual reality. Um, and as machine learning is now starting to take place, but with virtual reality, being able to review data in the virtual sense, um, you know, view that and be able to interpret it from there. And then machine learning is definitely going to be the next piece that's coming into the game where each time a system processes data, it learns from that data, it learns to get better and faster in the processing and, and analysis piece. So I think in the next, uh, next three to five years, we're going to see some substantial movement in that space. And the connectivity between the information being gathered at the field level, being linked up through the cloud, through wireless communication systems, back into these databases for processing and recycling back is going to cut down the amount of time from uh, an interrogation being done through the analysis phase to a decision being made. And so all of those pieces are definitely going to improve the turnaround time on that and being able to respond to, you know, p potential hazards and threats faster, I think, is, uh, is a great trend to the future. Just to, just to add uh, to what Dirk mentioned on machine learning, uh, the tech industry already has made enormous leaps in machine learning. You know, Google, Facebook, Netflix, and those companies. Uh, but the pipeline industry is more critical. Uh, uh, but uh, we definitely will get there pretty soon. Um, you know, uh, but it's more critical because uh, uh, the pipeline industry is more, uh, you know, it's uh, we measure it's not just the cost, it's uh, in terms of human life as well. Um, so even if Netflix, uh, Netflix pushes the wrong, uh, suggests you a wrong movie or 
Facebook uh, uh, pushes you a wrong advertisement, I think that's okay. Um, but uh, if we want to use machine learning uh, to make uh, some crucial decisions uh, in the pipeline industry, uh, you know, uh, we need to have the model really validated. But uh, we are not far away from doing it. Um, at, at the end of the day, machine learning will be one of the tools at our disposal, and it depends on how we are going to use it. Wonderful. Thank you all. That was really interesting. My final question for you all today is, how do integrity programs meet compliance requirements? This Aja here. Uh, so since 2002, uh, every pipeline operator uh, needs to have a written pipeline integrity management plan. Um, uh, we have CFR, the Code for Federal Regulations 192 and 195 for gas pipelines and liquid pipelines. Uh, and these regulations, that's a law, right? It's a, they're federal regulations, it's a law. Um, the regulations, they set requirements, but they also provide guidance uh, on preventive and mitigative measures, uh, establish time frames and, you know, for upgrades and repairs and so on. Um, but as the minimum, uh, the operator needs to uh, include uh, some basic information uh, and some of the information that needs to contain that needs to be contained in this manual are uh, one the process for identifying uh, which pipeline segments are are HCAs for example you know, which depend on the number of buildings or occupancy waterways etc um, you know it, it needs to specify what the training requirements need to be um, and as Dirk mentioned, since last fall, uh, we have the mega rule uh, uh, that's put in place. So now we have moderate consequence areas as well, in addition to high consequence areas, and that needs to be incorporated incorporated into the manual as well. Yeah, thank you, AJ. Taking that one slight step further as well, um, so the regulations were put in place as a result of the pipeline accidents and, and have evolved since then. Um, the pipeline integrity management plan that the operators have is, is their playbook that states how they're going to handle the threats. To support that, uh, organizations like NACE have been very actively involved, along with others like ASME and API, uh, to develop peer-reviewed standards um, that have now become a part of the guidance documents as to how you would implement different pieces of this. Uh, the, this, the federal regulations will set the bounds as to what's acceptable and what their expectations are. And then on the implementation phase, the operators can call on some of these technical uh, groups as well for information to support that program. So, for example, um, NASA has several documents on the direct assessment um, tools and, and processes that are available um, that are reviewed on, a, on an ongoing basis, improved as new technologies develop or as more things have been learned, and that's a, a support piece to it from a compliance standpoint. And the other piece is, as we mentioned earlier, there's operator qualification requirements that the Department of Transportation has set so that you make sure there are competent people actually performing these tasks. Um, and so each of the operators has a defined set of, uh, of operator qualifications, OQs, uh, that the people performing these different tasks we need to, to have trained and demonstrated com uh, competencies in. Um, so there's a, a, a suite of information and a suite of tools available that support them in the implement implementation of their integrity programs. Okay, great. Well, thank you all so much to our experts, Ajay, Marlene, and Dirk from CorePro for joining me today. Um, 
if our listeners want to learn more, what is your website that they can go to, the CorePro website? It would be at www.ageon.com, and um, at the Ageon website, there is the corrosion protection platform, which uh, CorePro is a part of, and inside of uh, the, the corrosion protection platform, there will be a number of different uh, uh, links to the different pieces about the parts of the business, the services that we provide, and uh, references there to contact. Wonderful. Thank you. So this is where we'll end things today. Again, my name is Rebecca Bickham, editor of Materials Performance Magazine. Thanks for listening.